Hello and welcome to this special bonus episode of The Dairy Edge. Chagas are running a weekly Let's Talk Dairy webinar series, which is also being made available as a podcast. On this week's webinar, Stuart Childs discusses buffer zones in agriculture. Okay, good morning, uh, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the first Let's Talk Dairy, I suppose, officially of 2022, um, as we had the Once a Day conference last week in place of the webinar. Uh, so I hope a few of you are in, uh, in, enjoyed that with a good crowd on over 400 people and some very good information that was both pertinent to uh, people milking twice a day as well as once a day. So today, I suppose, is a, a red letter day. I suppose uh, you wonder what am I talking about when I say that? So today is the 13th of January uh, and in zone A, we're allowed to spread fertilizer and uh, slurry again from today on. So yesterday was closed day, even though uh, many people often get confused because the 12th of January is is up as the closing as the end of the closed period. But it's actually today is the official day that spreading can start again. So there's going to be many people probably uh, in spite of having 16 weeks of storage on paper and so forth under pressure and slurry tanks will be moving and, and pipe systems will be beginning to move today. So it's important that I suppose that you're aware of buffer zones. It's a bit of a contentious issue from my perspective in that I feel the, the obligation on the farmer to be responsible for the buffer zone is a little bit um, onerous in that so many people are now using contractors to spread slurry in particular and to a lesser extent maybe fertilizer. Uh, and fertilizer probably isn't as much of a concern, uh, especially with contractors with the types of machinery that they have, with GPS, et cetera, available to them. Um, but as regards slurry, if, if you're if you happen not to be in the yard and somebody comes to spread, they know what fields are to go to. If they're not aware of the buffer zone, it's a bit difficult for you to um, take responsibility for that. No, I can accept that it is your farm, it is your land, etc. But uh, I think there is probably a bigger uh, obligation on people, contractors, associations, etc., to make um, their, their their people aware of these buffer zones as well. And it's actually something I think I may have mentioned at last um, at, at some stage late last year as well that there are people considering getting signs made up at, for the to be put up near where they're take, removing the slurry, so near the agitation points or up in the wall beside the agitation points, or maybe even actually out in the field in some cases where they've identified uh, water courses that need to be um, that need to have their buffer zones adhered to uh, that they're going to put up signs to remind people to stay out from those areas. So I'm just going to go through a few um, slides and I have a nice picture here that I got from Emer Connery, who's the ASAP advisor in uh, Cork East. But I think it may have actually come from the Department of the Environment. So uh, just to give them the credit for it. So I'll just uh, start to share here now in a second. So I hope you all had a nice Christmas anyway and uh, wish you all the best for the coming year. OK, so buffer zones in agriculture. Look. These are important and it's very, very important that we can get this into our heads and that it becomes the norm, I suppose. Um, I, you'll see as I go through here now in a minute uh, the reasons why it makes sense to do this. And you can probably see as well the importance of them. Now, again, I reference Emer here as well as, as the ASB advisor that I have probably the most dealings with uh, because of working in the same areas. Or, uh, Emer thinks that this is one of the key uh, issues for people in relation to water quality um, and if we can maybe start being a bit um, more savvy in relation to the buffer zones and being more aware of them we can actually exact change or 
uh, have an influence in terms of water quality because it's one of the major issues that she sees on her journeys around uh, examining water quality on farms, okay? So why, why are we talking about uh, buffer zones? What are they? So the loss of nutrients to our waters is, is causing a decline in water quality. Now, that said, we have come forward in terms of water quality from where we were 20, 30 years ago, without a doubt. Um, but unfortunately, the, um, the water quality is probably, in terms of excellent water qualities, they're slipping to good, and some of the good are slipping to average. And we need to have, as you can see there by point two, we need to get... Uh, as a country, where our objective is that all our waters would achieve good status by 2027, uh, which isn't that far away, obviously, with only five years between here and then. Um, so the main problems, obviously, are nitrogen and phosphorus loss from agriculture, um, and they are the ones that we have to focus on, and they're the ones that we have the biggest issues around, obviously. So it varies from the part of the country that you're in, depending on whether it's nitrogen or phosphorus, um, and, but the, I suppose the principles apply no matter what area of the country you're in. So how do they cause the problems? Um, I suppose the, the, the issue is that the nutrient enrichment will occur where excess nutrients are not either retained on the soil or used by the growing crop subsequently and are subsequently lost to water. So I suppose just to avoid any confusion around that, if slurry is applied today, it's not a, bad, not, not a bad bit of weather at the moment. In fact, it's probably becoming ideal conditions in terms of ground traffic ability is going to improve significantly on drier, drier soils over the next few days and the moderate soils will probably progress as well. Um, heavier soils may still be challenged, obviously, from a traffic ability point of view. And if there's a challenge from a traffic ability point of view, then there has to be a major question asked in relation to whether the nutrient is actually going to be retained on, in, the, in the soil, because if the soil is that weight, uh, it's not probably going to be in a position to take the, the nutrient. Um, however, as I said, just to, to clear up the point, slurry that's applied today isn't all going to be used today, but that doesn't mean it's going to be lost either necessarily. Um, and again, this is probably where the buffer zone comes into play as well, in that slurry that's applied today, tomorrow, over the weekend, the conditions are going to be good for it. Um, as you know, with dribble bar, with trailing shoe, um, with with splash plate, there's going to be a level of slurry on the ground anyway, even at, for a, a good spell post application. So as I said, this doesn't necessarily mean that that's going to go anywhere, uh, but the buffer zone is going to uh, alleviate any movement of that. If, for example, you're right beside the river and you apply nutrient right beside the river and you were to get heavy rain in a week's time, then the risk is that, that some of that is going to get flushed into the river very easily, obviously, because you're right beside the river. However, if you're keeping back your five meters or maybe, and I'll show you the, the details of these in, in the next slide, uh, or if you're keeping back even further, then if we do get that heavy rain and we do get some movement of nutrient towards the, the water course, it's not as much of a concern from the point of view that there is a bit of an area that's going to take it. So it's like a, an overflow area. Um, so phosphorus is obviously most prone to last from low permeability clay soil so as i said depending on the area of the country if we look at the epa maps and uh, as we move west and kind um north and west i suppose to a certain extent so up into connacht uh, across into clare parts of limerick and into Kerry, phosphorus losses are probably a bigger concern however the new nitrogen the third point there is more of an issue around free draining soils and light soils. so some of the soil around here in moorpark moorpark soils itself uh, back towards Mallow, um, as we move into Waterford, into County Waterford, all those areas are highlighted as being uh, nitrogen problems in terms of 
nitrogen appearing in water courses such as the Blackwater, the Noor, uh, the Barrow, um, and, and so forth. So that's more associated with movement of, of nitrogen down through the soil and is probably associated with more heavy, heavier applications or excess application of nutrient that's not going to be used. So as I said, just because we put it on today, uh, it's not going to be used immediately, all of it. It does start to work more or less straight away. Slurry being a safer bet, obviously, because it's kind of a slower uh, effect, slow, it's slower growing or slower release kind of fertilizer than chemical fertilizer. Um, and then uh, I suppose it's just adhering to the buffer zones and applying the right quantity. So look, people are under pressure probably, as I said already, in terms of storage capacity and the temptation may be there to try to spread heavy amounts on uh, smaller areas of ground that are trafficable, et cetera, to reduce pressure on tanks. But we maybe need to look at, can we move that slurry to silage ground? Maybe that might be suitable to take slurry as well. I know it's a bit of an inconvenience, maybe at this time when there's lots of people looking for slurry for contractors to move, et cetera, and they probably want to concentrate on where they can make most progress quickly. Uh, but at the same time, we shouldn't be applying more than two to two and a half, maybe 3,000 gallons of slurry at max to any one area. Um, and that's where we have to be careful with umbilical systems as well, that they don't over apply uh, to small areas of ground, whether that's by accident or by uh, by design by people. That is just going to create a situation where we're going to get a movement of nutrient to the water courses, almost in spite of buffer zones uh, when we go with very heavy applications, because obviously we're uh, weighting the soil quite significantly there. So we need to be conscious of those. So what are the exclusion zones? I've said these many times, but I suppose it's always no harm to give a refresher in relation to these. Chemical fertilizer, as I said, is actually allowed to be applied from today. The number of people that will be applying chemical fertilizer, I would think in the next two to three weeks is going to be limited. And I suppose our advice would be given that the price of fertilizer has increased so significantly that we are going to have to delay that first application in order to get a cost-effective return from from that fertilizer so uh, i think we spoke about it before christmas there in relation to that we we're probably looking at a situation where we're going to be uh, again we'll say take the more park soil uh, we might be looking at being able to apply there straight away uh, at the start of february because we will start to get growth rates suitable to give us the return as we may have to move a little bit later as uh, we move further north maybe that's a broad sweeping statement i suppose in terms of saying moving further north but uh, when you look at the weather data for soil temperatures, etc., and you look at Sherkin Island, Clannacilty, as we move up even to Moorpark, um, the, the likes of Sherkin and Clannacilty uh, will be have greater soil temperatures, higher soil temperatures, much quicker than we will even have them here in Moorpark. So there is potential, or there, there is justification for delaying spreading uh, of that first round of fertilizer to mid-February, third week of February, potentially, as we're going um, further north. However, it's important that we still, in spite of the cost of fertilizer, there is a role for fertilizer. We, we need to grow grass. Um, silage and meal being fed to stock because of expensive fertilizer isn't going to make sense in terms of we're not spreading the fertilizer to grow the grass for the day after it's spread when we spread it in the spring. We're spreading it for to make sure that we have grass coming for second rotation. That means that fertilizer application is still going to be an important piece, uh, but the timing of it is going to be important as well in order to get the return for it and to also to avoid any issues around uh, losses. So 
The application of chemical fertilizer, as I said, is allowed from today, but I wouldn't expect too many to be doing it. Um, two meters from surface waters. And I think people can get hung up if those of you that have been on derogation courses, you're talking about blue lines on OSI maps. I think you should just literally, for the simplicity of it and not getting making things too complicated, take a two meter buffer from any surface water on your on your farm, whether that is um, an OSI, marked on an OSI map or not. And that just keeps it simple. Keep out two meters from all drains around the field or around the farm, sorry. Um, when we come on to the organic manure, so this applies to soil water, slurry, farmyard manure, if you happen to be spreading it, unlikely at this stage of the year, obviously. So five meters. So that's, I'm about six foot tall. Um, if I take a step, it's generally approximately a meter. So that's a very crude way of doing it, if, uh, but it's going to be effective enough to walk from the bank of the river, or I suppose from the post that's above the bank of the river, which is going to be a meter out, but take your five meters from that fence line anyway. And that's your, your cutoff point for applying your slurry during the main season. It's important to note that if you are going with slurry today and you're going to be spreading your water courses, you now need to be 10 meters from the water course. And that applies as well just before the cutoff date there in October as well. So again, 10 steps. Simple thing is probably just take a few pigtails, stick them along in a couple of different points along those water courses just to give yourself a marker um, and don't spread any uh, organic manure in that zone. Um, and as I said, again, then when we're spreading later, as like we will be spreading slurry as we graze maybe in February or post grazing in February, that's going to come back to five meters, but it's important to stick to that. The other thing that needs to be noted here is and there will be plenty of land will fall into this category. So if you have a fall of, of one meter um, in 10, uh, so there's a significant slope on the land that you're spreading, um, you need to adhere to that 10 meter buffer zone as well. So again, that makes sense, I suppose. If we're applying it on a slope and we were to get a heavy bout of rain, uh, there is going to be a wash effect, as you can imagine quite clearly. Uh, and as a result, that means that we... Um, are going to have a flush into the into the river if we've spread too close and we're on the slope. Ge geography and and um, physics basically are, are gravity is making it go to the going to go to the stream. So um, from that point of view, we have to adhere to a buffer zone there as well on slope ground. And look, there's a lot of ground that's going to be falling into that category, especially around these uh, water courses because they generally tend to be in valleys, uh, and as a result. Um, we are going to have slope ground uh, coming to, to those. Then I suppose, look, this isn't going to be of major uh, importance to many people that are possibly listening, but people up around the barn and so forth um, are going to be looking at uh, cavernous or karst features. So that's your limestone features, we'll say, that can occur. And I'll show you an example in the, in the image in a minute. Um, there's a 15 meter exclusion zone for, for that as well. And then if there happened to be a lake on your farm, there's a 20 meter exclusion zone around that. And that's because I suppose you don't have the movement of water that you're going to have in, um, in normal streams and rivers and so forth. So basically any nutrient that goes into that is now going to sit in or potentially drop to the bottom of that. And it has a dramatic impact in a lake, whereas there's a start of a, a, a recharging of the waters, obviously, because of the movement of water um associated with streams and rivers 
that, that allows for a shorter buffer zone, I suppose. Um, and then finally, I suppose this is an important piece from both a human health point of view um, and for your own farms and your own houses and so forth, is that there's a variation of 25 to 200 metres of a buffer zone around the water abstraction points. Um, and that can that depends on where that water abstraction point is supplying. So I have I've had clients in the past where they were um, close to a village and the water extraction point happened to be in their land and they will be at a 200 meter exclusion zone, which literally ruled out some of their fields for slurry application because of the risk of, we'll say, um, nutrient moving down through the groundwater and getting into that water source. Uh, however, for your own certain situations, we'll say in your own farms where you're maybe using your own water supply uh, for both the house and for the, for the farm, there's a 25 meter exclusion zone there as well. And I, to be quite honest, a lot of people aren't aware of those. Uh, the people that tend to be aware of them are the people that have the 200 meter buffers because council will have informed them um, that they're expected to uh, stay clear of those abstraction points. Not too many people are conscious of the ones for their own houses. No, it's it's just, uh, it's, I suppose it's a belt and braces approach unless there's very significant movement of nutrient or if you're doing the dog on it in terms of nutrient it would probably not be a major issue in terms of the water abstraction but it's uh it's there it's a, it's a rule and people should be trying to stick to it again the idea of putting up a sign maybe to identify that area is isn't isn't a bad idea especially because you may not you're not going to in the vast majority of cases people aren't going to be applying that slurry themselves um, and again i suppose there's just also conscious be, be aware i remember many years ago as a young guy uh, working in farm relief I was spreading slurry for a guy and again coming back to the responsibility being on him I was spreading near the road and down near a house as well and the lady in the house came out uh, and I, I actually spread near the boundary so I didn't spread into the boundary into her obviously but she said that the farmer normally didn't spread close to him close to the house you know he normally left a, a line around the house where he didn't go into so obviously I'd spread there at that stage. So I went back to the yard from my Lord Met farmer and he said, I forgot to tell you, yeah, stay out from there. So the next time that I went down, I kept out 25, 30 metres from it. Unfortunately, I suppose I had, had some slurry spread there at that stage, but uh, she understood the fact that I hadn't been told. So so it's important, I suppose, that um, people are conscious of that and, and aware of it, okay? So as I said, I hope this is going to be visible enough now. I think this is a very good little graphic in terms of identifying the buffer zones it's maybe a little bit hard to read because i've only scanned it from a, a printout as opposed to having it on on a copy so for, you can see here a is marked here so a is a borehole or a spring or a well and uh, so this is supplying this house here so it's just an individual uh, so it's a 25 meter cut off zone in that scenario so we should we need to be staying 25 meters away from the well abstraction point in that scenario uh, in B, we have a borehole or a spring or a well that's supplying more than 10 cubic meters of drinking water. So it's supplying a, a school here, I think it is. So we can see that the buffer zone is increasing to 100 meters in that scenario. And then C is again the water abstraction point. So we have a village, as you can see the church here in the background. So a village here, um, more than 100 cubic meters of drinking water being taken from that and our buffer zone is increasing to 200 meters. So as I said, uh, depending on your height, maybe roughly speaking, and a lot of people 
will be able to take a meter a step or there thereabouts. So if you step that out, you won't be long realizing how uh, far that is. And as I said, that may rule out paddocks on your farm for, for organic manure applications uh, in relation to that if you happen to have one of those boreholes on your land. D here then is this lake or a turlock. The turlock, I suppose, is something I would associate like the Galway and so forth. Uh, lakes can be dis, uh, distributed across the country, obviously, and some it may not affect some of you and it will affect others. As I said, it's a 20 meter buffer zone there for a lake. And this is this carcified uh, limestone feature. So we'll say we've bare rock basically coming to the ground there, uh, coming to the surface there. And we've a 15 meter exclusion around that because obviously if it's showing there, the likelihood is that the rock is just under the surface for a good spell around that. And in that kind of limestone rock, we can get very swift movement of water through it, as you'd imagine if you or as you may have experienced if you've been in any of the caves and um, on tours and so forth, that the water is dripping down through it. And that can very readily happen. So, for example, Alui Cave in Clare is an example. If they get very heavy rainfall the day before um, tours go into the caves, there's quite significant water moving through those caves the following day if, if after a dry spell. So it can move very quickly down through the surface. Uh, and if there's nutrient in it, obviously that nutrient is moving through the surface then as well and into groundwater where it's going to create the problem. And then the final one, I suppose, is, which is going to be most relevant to all of you, is this uh, surface water. So your river or your drain. And as I said, I think it's probably best practice if people just apply this across the board whether it's a, a river or a drain that's uh, identified on an OSI map or not, five meter buffer zone from that area and 10 meters for the, the coming two weeks and 10 meters again, then if there's a, a slope of 10% uh, going down to the river or stream. So as I said, that's, a, that's a, a, just a timely reminder, I suppose, in relation to um, buffer zones and their importance. And as I said, when I've asked Emer in the past, what is one? What give me give me something key, Emer, that people can do that's going to really impact and an exact change, basically in relation to water quality. And I'm not saying that people are putting nutrient into water, but there's these little things can have a big impact in terms of the effect that they will have on water quality. And as I said at, at the very start, there we have an objective uh, as a country to try and achieve good water status in all those in all our water courses by. 2027 and this is a major step towards that so whatever way works for you if you're spreading your own slurry be conscious of it i think maybe something stuck up in the window of a tractor it's something that i have suggested maybe should be sent out through the contractors associations that they'd have those buffers on something like that little picture there identified uh, on on the window of the tractor so that whoever hops up on the tractor knows that they're supposed to stay out five meters however if we do say that the responsibility is on the farmer the idea that I got from uh, one of my colleagues in, in Kerry talking to farmers that he's dealing with is that they were going to put up a, 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 um, a sign on the post as you enter into that field, please stay out five metres from this dike. Um, so whatever way it can work for you, I think, as I said, Emer is, uh, is in the championing, 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 <laughs> I can't say the word, um, this as a, a way of farmers impacting real change in terms of water quality on their farms. Now, there are some farms that this doesn't really impact on because the water quality in their area is actually good. But there are farms where, uh, so you can say that, so what's, the, what's the, the trigger? So it varies from place to place, but agriculture is in general uh, going to be associated with a share of the decline in water quality in areas. 
And if we can stick to all these buffer zones and follow through on them, we can have greater impact in terms of reducing the loss of nutrient into water courses and improving water quality then. And that's going to be an important factor. Uh, as you're aware, we haven't uh, got a derogation approval for 2022 onwards as yet. Uh, it's, been, it's been delayed. It's going to be March before there'll be a decision in Europe uh, on that. Uh, but it's all, as you'll have seen, probably on the journal and so forth, there is a lot of talk that we will have to review our derogation again in two years' time because our water quality is a bit static in terms of its improvement. Um, so we really do need to be conscious of this. So just keep it in your head about buffer zones, two meters for chemical fertilizer, five meters during the course of the year for organic materials or organic manures, 10 meters for the first two weeks and 10 meters if you're on a slope. They're the, the general ones. If you, are, if you are close to a lake, if you have a borehole on your land that's servicing water to uh, a facility or a school or a, or a village or whatever, be aware of that and be conscious of the buffer zone in that area. And then finally, I suppose, be conscious of the buffer zones for your own uh, water um, supplies as well. And that's important as, uh, as well. From And some people have found they have found the coli in water test samples for more beer, et cetera. And that can be just down to the fact that slurry is being sprayed. If the water is very or if the, the land is very permeable, that nutrient is moving down and it's going into the water source for the farm. So just be conscious of that. So we'll wrap it up at that for today, folks. We'll be back again next week. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Wish you all the best for the coming week and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Thank you. That's all for this week's Let's Talk Dairy webinar series. And don't forget to look out for more bonus episodes each week. I'll be back with our usual Dairy Edge interview on Monday, so do listen in then. I'm Emma-Louise Coffey and thanks for listening.